Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, April 28th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is given the green light to resume, and the CDC revised its guidelines or guidance. Then Mississippi was only one of three states to lose population in the last decade. We examine the socio-political factors that could explain the shift. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, restaurants get additional relief through a new grant administered by the Small Business Administration. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi Department of Health is allowing usage of the Johnson & Johnson coronavirus vaccine to resume. The single-dose vaccination was paused earlier this month over concerns for blood clots in several women. During a virtual town hall hosted by Jackson State University, State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs discussed the vaccine's new green light. Um, We had a little bit of a a scare with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And so what did we see? We saw a rare form of uh, blood clots um, at a rate of about one in a million, especially in young women. Please know that the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, this has not been seen, right? But even with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, it's extremely rare. Now, it's serious, and we're taking it seriously. We did just release information that said it's okay for docs to start using Johnson & Johnson so long as they have counseling with their patients, especially young women. So if you're under 50 and you're a woman, there is this small, but, you know, know, if it's it's about – seven in a million, right? If you're a young, if you're a woman under 50. And if you don't want to take Johnson & Johnson, hey, that's fine. We've got plenty of Pfizer, plenty of Moderna. We want to protect you. We want to protect your family. We want to protect your future. We want you to get back to school. We want you in the football stadiums. We want you doing the things that make life worth living. And the best way for us to do that is to as many people as possible, get protected, get immunized, be immune, and stop the COVID pandemic. The addition of the J&J vaccine to the variety of shots offered in Mississippi comes at a time when other parts of the nation are experiencing increased cases of COVID-19. Health leaders say vaccination is the most effective way to combat increased transmission. Dobbs acknowledges Mississippi is still trailing some of its southeastern cohorts in overall vaccination rates. If we look at how Mississippi's done, we have, uh, we, we've almost 
vaccinated a million people, which is fantastic, right? What's that's uh, you know a third of the population. But keep in mind that a third of the population essentially is not eligible for vaccines because they're kids. Kids can't get vaccinated. So, um, you know, of those who are eligible, we've we've done a pretty decent job. Not where we want to be, but a pretty decent job. A couple things I want to break down for you guys is to see that most of the vaccines have been given through these through our drive-through clinics, or at least the, the majority of the doses, more than any other. But we also have a lot of other facilities, hospitals, pharmacies, clinics, where vaccines are available, and they're available more and more. If you look at breakdown by race, you can see that about 59% of the vaccine doses have gone to Caucasians and 33% have gone to African-Americans in Mississippi, which, which is pretty good. Um, it's actually a little, and, and among Asian Mississippians, it's actually a little bit more percentage-wise than they represent in the population. But if you look at over time, we're kind of a little bit slow uh, getting vaccine, vaccines into um, to the African-American folks, but we've, we've kind of improved. And now we're really clocking along at pretty much where the population level is. We've also seen a little bit of a softening in the demand in the white, especially the white rural population, which is going to be one of our big challenges going forward. Dr. Dobbs is also encouraging fully vaccinated Mississippians to get active outdoors. New guidance from the CDC says those who are fully vaccinated can gather in public and non-crowded outdoor areas without a mask. Clayton Whitehead with the CDC says examples of crowded spaces where masks are still needed include sporting events, live concerts, or parades. When you're outdoors, you don't have to wear a mask if you're not in a crowded space. How we define a crowded space is like a live concert or parade or sports event. So also um, activities that were deemed less safe. Now, if you're vaccinated, uh, are considered safe if you wear your mask. So let's say if you wanted to attend um, like an indoor movie theater or go to your um, preferred worship service, those are now considered safe if you're wearing your mask and you're vaccinated. Dobbs and other health leaders insist the vaccines are the most immediate path toward a return to normalcy, but also recognize hesitancy is still a challenge. Dobbs says home remedies like immune boosters will or cannot replace the efficacy of the vaccine. He warns eventually it will come down to residents getting one of two things, the vaccine or COVID-19. You can be safe and, and, you know, stay home away from people. I mean, that's a pretty safe thing to do, but there's no, there's no other way. You can't boost your immune system taking vitamin C or zinc or whatever. None of that stuff's going to protect you from COVID, right? Um, and I think pretty much, just to be honest, if you haven't had COVID before and you haven't had the vaccine, you're either going to get COVID later or the vaccine later. Eventually, pretty much everybody's going to get it. So if you... If you don't want to get COVID, get the vaccine. That's basically what it is. Um, there, there's nothing, no way around it. The religious thing is a little bit curious. Um, I haven't seen any sort of formal religious objection. There have been some concerns about the um, conversation about the Johnson & Johnson because it's grown in a cell line, basically a cell culture that was derived from um, uh, fetal tissue back in the 60s, right? Um, and so uh, even the Catholic Church is, is, has found it okay, but that is not how Pfizer and Moderna are made. So, you know, having options is beautiful. 
Coming up, Mississippi was only one of three states to lose population last decade. We examine the socio-political factors that could explain the shift. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Preliminary data from the Census Bureau reveals a number of population trends that ultimately result in the Magnolia State losing 6,000 people over the last decade. Census numbers released Monday show Mississippi gained nearly 20,000 black residents, about 16,700 Hispanic residents, and another 4,500 Asian residents. The state lost about 48,400 white residents during the decade. Sociologists typically examine a number of factors when studying population shifts, including death rates and birth rates. But John Green of the University of Mississippi says studying migratory trends helps better understand the impact of policy and population changes. I think where the most attention can be given in terms of policy, in terms of uh, dealing with economic development and other things related to quality of life, it's really that, that net migration area where we can have the most impact, right, in terms of trying to uh, be attractive to people who might be moving, how we can be attractive for people to move to Mississippi, uh, coupled with what are the types of things related to quality of life uh, that that people would want to stay in Mississippi, either those that are originally from here to to stay here, as well as people who've come here to be able to continue to stay here, uh, both for their careers and retirement. What are the top identifiable reasons why someone would move to Mississippi? Jobs? education, health care? Yeah, certainly, you know, um, when we look at uh, national data uh, of why people move um, one year to the next, certainly the issue of uh, job opportunities is central, uh, but not the only factor, but, you know, certainly important. And oftentimes people move between jobs out of necessity and sometimes, uh, you know, by choice. But if we, if we say in addition to that, what makes a difference on where people choose to live, both in terms of between states but also between places within states. We know that the quality of education matters. Uh, We know that kind of other opportunities, whether it's kind of cultural opportunities as well as strong infrastructures around health and and, uh, housing uh, makes a difference. And so I think the, the critical thing is to really understand that there's not kind of just one feature or one component or one dimension that matters, but we have to look holistically across these different uh, characteristics of the communities and say, you know, what, what together improves quality of life. The administration and legislature have been controlled by Republicans, and one of the driving forces of the Republican Party in this state is to bring business into the state. 
that that will increase population by bringing big business in, more jobs. They're using tax incentives, tax cuts to keep businesses here. Wouldn't you expect more with that kind of effort that it appears that that hasn't been successful? Can we determine that yet? Yeah, I would, I would argue we can't necessarily determine that it hasn't been successful yet, uh, but, but certainly that we have to look at a, at a broad mix of uh, initiatives. So I, I absolutely think that, you know, paying attention to uh, how to expand uh, businesses from, you know, uh, other locations to invest in Mississippi is critical. I don't think there's any question uh, about that being critical. Also, we want to look at how do we uh, further develop and, and, and retain the businesses that we do have and work with those businesses to expand. Um, but then also, how do we think more uh, about quality of life within Mississippi? You know, I think a great example of really important investments is what you're seeing around broadband infrastructure, making it possible for people to, to live in communities across the state, uh, you know, whether it's for school or job opportunities. But that also has an impact on businesses, both those that are already here and others that might uh, you know, be looking at, at Mississippi for continued growth opportunities. And so taking on, you know, something like that, that has diverse impacts. And, and so I think those are the types of what we might consider uh, policy leverage points where we can have an impact on, on the overall population change. Once all the numbers come in, how how much can you interpret? How close can you get? Okay, we've lost population because teachers aren't paid enough, and they left the state to teach elsewhere. Jobs don't pay enough, so they left the state to make more money. How specific can you get? Well, it's we can get pretty specifics in term, specific in terms of the characteristics of the people, um, you know, at, at different points in time. The causal mechanisms behind that to really understand why is more complicated, and we can't only look to the census data uh, for that. We have to draw on other data sources, others that are from the Census Bureau, like the American Community Survey and like population estimates, as well as a need for a wide variety of other studies, you know, such as surveys, such as community uh, case studies. Uh, to get more in-depth and also get the perspectives, you know, of the people in those communities. So it's not just the, the numbers in and of themselves, but to understand the reasons behind uh, what's happening. And that's where that kind of community engagement is, uh, is really critical, to understand those perspectives. How long do you anticipate it will take you and others to interpret these numbers and to apply meaning to them? Well, you know, that's a great question, and I think what's, what we're going to see with the 2020 census is now the, the rollout of these different data products. So what was released, you know, this week were those apportionment numbers that include just very straightforward resident population counts and overseas population counts that can be affiliated with specific states that was used for apportionment. Uh, but then later this summer we'll have the data that, that will be used for redistricting and, we'll, and we have, there's a whole calendar of the release of, a, of data from the 2020 census. And every time those new data come out, then what we have to do to, to really try to understand them is compare them to the population estimates that we had come out with before through the Census Bureau working with the states, as well as the estimates that come from the American Community Survey, which 
gives us much more detailed information on some of those items about the characteristics of people and their families and their households. And uh, and then, you know, then we're trying to kind of constantly uh, rein, reinvigorate our, our understanding of what's happening. And so I think it's a, it's a moving target, but basically every time there's a, you know, a decennial census year, then in the, in the following year, you, you just see uh, the release of more and more data products, and it, it kind of focuses in our understanding. And what I think will be particularly important is when we can look at, you know, the, the county level, when we can look at the municipality uh, level, when we can really drill down to understand what are the nuances in different regions of the state. That's going to be uh, very informative for, you know, for different development policies and initiatives rather than just, you know, one size fits all. Certainly there are things for the state level that we can do, but there's also a lot that communities can do as well. John Green is a professor in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology and senior research associate for the Center for Population Studies at the University of Mississippi. Very interesting, and I look forward to talking to you again as you learn more and more information about the census. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, restaurants get additional relief through a new grant administered by the Small Business Administration. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. The contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Hi, this is Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Nursing and Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and you're listening to a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Small naps can be fine to help kind of boost, you know, mental acuity and, you know, keep us sharp. But usually try and limit those to 30 minutes or less and before lunchtime. Uh, When we do prolonged naps in the afternoon, you know, hour, two hours, then it's going to interfere with our ability to fall asleep at a kind of a normal sleep time, which should be on the PM side of midnight. So if you normally take, um, you know, an hour nap, try and cut that back to 45 minutes and then try and back your bedtime up by, you know, 15 or 30 minutes and do that for a couple of days. Don't shock your system into just, um, you know, not napping and I'm going to go to bed at 10 p.m. You got to kind of back it up gradually a little bit there. For more health tips and medical info, tune in every weekday at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Josie This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
When the pandemic reached Mississippi last year, restaurants faced some of the most immediate impacts. Dining rooms closed, wait staffs were let go. For weeks, the business model changed. And even as restrictions were slowly lifted, capacity restrictions presented some limitations while public hesitancy added another prolonged layer of challenges. Now, a new federal program administered by the Small Business Administration is launching to help uh, restaurants across the country recover. The Restaurant Relief Fund, a $28.6 billion grant program, will soon have funds available to the state's restaurateurs. Janita Stewart is the SBA's Mississippi director, and she shares more on the program. There's not really a specific amount that's been designated state by state. You know, the fund right now is $28.6 billion, which is a lot of funding, but there are lots of restaurants, of course, not only in Mississippi, but naturally across the whole, you know, USA. And so, you know, the application will be processed once, you know, on a first-come, first-served basis, basically. However, there is going to be a priority time frame, you know, um, during this pilot period where we're now doing outreach and training and really applications from uh, businesses that are owned by women and veterans and socially and economically disadvantaged individuals, those those applications will be reviewed. They won't receive the funding, of course, until the you know until the application is launched. Um, you know what we're doing right now, Karen. We're we're conducting training and outreach uh, to you know provide information to the general public on this program. That information should be on our website at sba.gov forward slash ms, or they can call the SBA district office at six zero one nine six five four three seven eight. Now, how is that? training being done virtually it's going to be yeah right it's 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 an informational session it's going to be a webinar it's going to really give people the advantage to take advantage of this information prior to the application being launched so they can actually you know be ready to you know rock and roll once (laughs) you know once the thing (laughs) once the application goes live and i want to make sure that it's communicated that this is a grant program so this is not a loan where people have to pay the loan back because it's not a loan. It's actually a grant program. And as long as the the recipients, you know, utilize the funds for the purposes intended, you know, they won't have to pay, you know, they won't have to pay the, uh, uh, the, the funds back. And, um, you know, the business expenses that are eligible, eligible uses of proceeds include, you know, business payroll, you know, costs, including sick leave. Uh, the, the restaurants and so forth, they can use these funds for utility payments, for maintenance expenses, for supplies, you know, food and beverage expenses and, and, and those kinds of things, operating expenses as well, you know, insurance, marketing fees, licenses, you know, equipment, so forth and so on. And they can also use it to pay business debt, uh, which means, you know, their mortgage uh, and their principal and interest, you know, on their business location. Um, and they can also use it for debt service, both principal and interest. They can't prepay. They can, they can use the funds, you know, in order to pay uh, eligible business debt. This is, as you said, this is truly helping businesses get back on their feet. Because I was going to mention that Mississippi is a little bit different in that our restaurants reopened some time ago. And yet uh, those businesses are still hurting from when they had to close previously, you know, months ago. That's right. That's right. So yeah, and 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 they had to sort of what pivot, 
you know, in terms of the way that they were doing business. A lot of these restaurants just sort of did the curbside, you know, pick up and delivery and those kinds of things. So, yeah, they, they just need to be attuned to this because the, the help is there. I also want to say this. This is not the traditional grant where, you know, someone would have to, you know, uh, really ordinarily you would have to be signed up for um you know, you would have to get a Dunn's number, Dunn and Bradstreet number, and you would have to be registered in, you know, in a certain federal system uh, in order to, uh, you know, SAM.gov is what it's called, to really apply. SBA, you know, eliminated that part of the process. So, again, just really trying to be as helpful as possible to, you know, give this lifeline to these businesses out there that are in desperate need of assistance. For people who have already applied or received PPP funds, are they disqualified from this funding or can they also be eligible? They would not be disqualified from this funding, but the amount of PPP funding that they received would be deducted from the amount of grant that they will be eligible for under RRF. But I would suggest that people go to sba.gov at slash restaurants, and they can see the information that's required, uh, you know, and the eligibility criteria and, and all of that. I believe there's also a sample application on there. So that's what I would suggest that people go ahead and do and get just, just get as prepared as you possibly can. And what's the phone number again, please? Okay, now the local phone number for the SBA district office is 601-965-4378. I would suggest that people go to sba.gov slash ms to get the information about the Mississippi uh, training. Janita Stewart is the uh, Small Business Administration's Mississippi District Director. Thank you so much for all the good information. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate it. And business owners can begin registering online at the SBA website on Friday. Applications will be available next Monday. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.